there, I'm Dr. Gabe Lowe and welcome to the Hard Questions, No Answers podcast. This is a show that is less interested in answering life's difficult questions and more interested in the process of wrestling with them. This podcast is a forum to celebrate the messiness that makes us human. It is a place to invite the unanswerable questions because often it is precisely these types of questions that push us to dig deeper, to think harder, and to refine our approach to life. So, if you get to the end of the episode and you still have lots of questions, then I've done my job. I invite you on the pursuit of no answers. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Hard Questions, No Answers podcast. Uh, I figured I'd spend a little bit of time talking today about the way in which I come up with the topics for uh, each episode. And uh, the short answer is that I asked my guests to pick uh, whatever topic they want to talk about. I want them to have uh, as much freedom and uh, respect the time that they put into preparing for these uh, episodes. And so having them talk about something that they're passionate about, one, uh, makes for a better conversation, and two, hopefully uh, makes it so they don't have to prepare uh, super long for whatever conversation we're going to have. And so this particular question, is youth ministry biblical, was suggested by my guest, uh, Dr. Mike McGarry. And even though that's where we started, uh, as you'll see in this episode, we sort of wandered to a lot of different topics. And uh, really, the only question that is scripted is the first one, the first one that I ask each of my guests. And usually it's uh, a way to introduce them, to introduce the topic. And after that, I just follow where the conversation goes. Um, Another question that I get asked uh, about how I... Uh, produce this podcast is uh, if I attend for the podcast to be geared towards a Christian audience. Uh, And religion is something that I don't uh, force any of my guests to talk about, but I'm willing to follow the conversation wherever it goes. Uh, There are cases like today's conversation where it makes sense to talk about religion given uh, the topic and given my guest background, Uh, but I hope that anybody from uh, any religious background can take away something from any conversation that uh, I have here. So, um, you know, I'm constantly looking for uh, people from different backgrounds and uh, different uh, perspectives to have on this podcast. Um, the fact that I have so many individuals who identify as Christian uh, is a result of the circles that I'm connected to, um, but I'm always looking for different ways to diversify the voices that I have on my podcast, which hopefully will come through uh, in the later episodes of this season. So um, for today's conversation, Dr. Mike McGarry is a youth pastor at South Shore Baptist Church in Hingham, Massachusetts. Uh, He's married to Tracy, a public school educator, and is now a youth pastor dad uh, to one of their kids. Uh, He's the author of uh, A Biblical Theology of Youth Ministry and Lead Them to Jesus, two books that he wrote. He's the founder of Youth Pastor Theologian and also co-hosts the Thanos to Theos podcast, a show about comics, culture, theology, and youth ministry. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Mike McGarry. 
Well, well, Mike McGarry, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I got connected through you uh, through a mutual friend and uh, so glad to have you on. You are a youth pastor and you've been in that role for some time now. Do you mind telling me a little bit about how you got uh, into that role? You know, what sort of drew you to youth ministry? Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Really excited for this conversation and um, have this uh, scheduled for a couple of weeks and I've been really looking forward to it. So thanks again yeah, for the invite. Likewise. Um, yeah, so I, I'm Mike McGarry and I serve as the youth pastor at South Shore Baptist Church in Hingham, Massachusetts. Um, I'm a native Massachusetts uh, guy and I, I just, I love my my home territory of New England and really uh, committed and passionate about seeing the gospel uh, at work in my home region that uh, typically is uh, considered one of the least religious, uh, regions of the United States. And I just know for, for me, I, I grew up going to church every week. I can't remember a time when I didn't, uh, know about God and have faith and believe in him. Uh, but when I was a teenager going into middle school, my parents, uh, got divorced and that kind of blew up <laughs> everything I imagine, that, yeah. that I had thought was just this, you know, healthy whole family and American dream and all this. And now all of a sudden, wait, what? Like mom and dad helped lead marriage Sunday school classes at church. Now they're getting like, what the heck is going on here? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so my life turned um, really upside down pretty quickly. And um, there were a few, um, you know, things that even as an 11, 12 year old, I, I had noticed, but you know, you, you don't really ever expect that to happen yeah, yeah. when you're young. And around that same time frame, my my own church had just brought in a youth pastor, and man, was he old! And um, <laughs> I, 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 me today, I, I'm older now than he was when he started at the church. But I was like, man, like, are youth pastors supposed to be? young and cool, yeah, like fresh and, out of high school. Yeah. They're supposed <laughs> to be like super trendy and hip. Um, and he just didn't fit that mold, but mm -hmm. man, he, he loves Jesus and he loves teenagers and he is exactly who I needed and what I needed. And I spent a lot of time talking with him about life and about identity and about mm -hmm. brokenness um, and God did so much work in me through him, um, that eventually gave me some opportunities to, to teach and to lead even as a teenager, which, uh, you know, that, there's a whole ball of wax. You're right. Totally. I, mean, I yeah. usually like <laughs> sketch out a few thoughts on a post-it note five minutes before I was supposed to be teaching. And then, um, you know, don't do that so much anymore, but, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So he gave me these opportunities. And I, I always had a really bad stutter, actually, mm -hmm. when I was a teenager, whenever I would have to speak in class, I would get super, super uh, bright red faced so much that I could feel my my sweat <laughs> starting to come out my pores and like super shy and quiet kid. But for some reason, when I was teaching God's word, um, the words just flowed and made sense mm -hmm. and just had the sense of this is this is what i'm supposed to do okay and yeah. so um yeah I'm, I'm still a youth pastor i'm 42 years old almost and i have teenager and almost uh, another almost teenager in my own household and um 
I, I could be doing other things at this point, but I still love youth ministry. Um, and a, a big part of that's because the impact that a good youth pastor made on my life when I was a teenager and really needed someone. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you mention that your perception of this uh, youth pastors that they were old. I can remember, yeah. you know, I grew up in the church. I grew up uh, as a pastor's kid going to youth group. And, you know, when you said that I was expecting, Oh, are they like 50 or 60? Um, <laughs> you know, back then, you know, when I was a teenager, 30 sounded old to me. I was like, Oh my gosh, you're 30. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when you're in middle school, someone who's you 40 you have no ancient. perception of <laughs> what they're my is. parents' age. It could be my dad. Yeah. Why is it me my youth pastor? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. yeah, but that's that's who I needed. I needed yeah, someone yeah. who had some, you know, age and mm-hmm. wisdom. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the topic that we'll be uh, sort of camping on today: youth ministry, and specifically the question of uh, is youth ministry biblical? And I think to uh, people who might not be familiar, it might sound a little weird to be asking that question. But I saw in one of your articles that uh, youth pastors may wrestle with that question quite a bit, uh, especially when you dig into the biblical text. It's not it. it it, the culture looks very different to what we mm-hmm. expect from youth ministry today. Yeah. Um, and so tell me a little bit about uh, your own journey with that question. Was there a particular thing that prompted you to ask that question? Um, you know, how has it been for you wrestling with that question? Yeah, thanks. Um, I think it's a really important question because, I mean, as a pastor, um, if my ministry is not taught in scripture, <laughs> mm-hmm, there's this mm-hmm. question of should I be doing it? Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, we want to have our job security. <laughs> it, right. And like, am I causing spiritual harm by doing mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. that I think is good and my intentions are good? My intentions are biblical. Totally. But if the form of my ministry, um, undermines my intention then my intentions are great but i'm actually doing something that is unbiblical that doesn't always mean it's something sinful mm-hmm. but it's just it's not the way that necessarily scripture and, and the lord intended for these things to be done in this totally. church so yeah. it's an important question um and i i know i've heard it asked kind of whis- in whispered tones among youth pastors kind of mm-hmm. wondering mm-hmm. um why are so many students walking away from the faith? Mm, you know, yeah. I, I've, I've poured myself into these kids for uh, seven years uh, throughout middle mm, school and mm-hmm. high school, and then they go off to college. And so few of them are staying connected to a local church. And so few of them are continuing to identify as believers in, uh, in Christ. And so what am I even doing? Uh, is this even worth it? Is this a waste of time? Um, are, we, are we even supposed to be doing what we're doing? Sure. Uh, so yeah. sometimes the question comes that way. Um, and sometimes the question comes from um, the, a certain segment of Christians who just say that youth ministry is uh, not something that should be reformed, but it's more like a weed in the church that should be just pulled and uh-huh, thrown uh-huh. in the fire. Wow. Um, and, and so usually they look at, at you and at me and they say, um, okay, Mike, tell, show me youth ministry in scripture. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't see any youth pastors yeah. in, Does in the he Bible. Use those words. <laughs> yeah. There, there's no youth pastor in the Bible. There's no youth ministry in the Bible. 
parents are called to disciple their kids mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I see the church, but I don't see any youth ministry. Yeah. So it's, it's up to the parents to disciple their kids and to raise their kids. And it's not up to the youth pastor to do that. Youth pastors are usually um, 20 something year old um, men and women mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. don't have the life experience and the wisdom and the maturity and the depth to be able to do what they're supposed to be doing. And now they're kind of sidelining and marginalizing the role of parents and, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. all, all this. So you can draw the, the different implications of that line of, of reasoning. Uh, but it, it's a fair question, isn't yeah. it? So th- that's kind of where the question comes from is um, it, it usually comes from youth workers who are really tired and discouraged mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. wondering, is this worth it? Yeah. Um, or it comes from um, usually parents who are saying, um, this is our job, not yours. Hmm. Uh, and, and pastors who are saying, this is parents job in family discipleship not a youth pastor's job so we're not going to have a youth ministry here Mm -hmm. we're just gonna Mm -hmm. do what the bible says and um have people go from childhood and then bar mitzvah type of uh rite of passage Uh and now you're uh and now we're going to treat you like an adult and you just do the adult things now Mm -hmm. Um, yeah you just sort of switch over yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so so that's usually how the question comes across Yeah. In some of your writing, it seems like you're, I don't know if you'd use this word, but it seems like you're almost writing an apologetic for youth ministry. And I think with all the guests that I've brought on where we've talked about scripture and how it relates to our current day situation, uh, often I ask, you know, what part of scripture can we apply to our situation today? And what is sort of... uh, anachronistic or, or what is uh, specific to that culture in which the scriptural text was written. And so I'm yeah. curious, because, you know, like you said, there isn't that specific phrase, or this, there isn't that specific role that, that we see in scripture. Um, and so a lot of the basis that you point out for youth ministry has to sort of be extrapolated from the principles of what uh, ministry looks like in the Bible. So I'm curious how you have parsed out for yourself, you know, what aspects have you held on to and mm-hmm. think translate mm-hmm. to our current day situation? And what aspects do you feel like are, you know, you sort of leave behind? Yeah, that's a great question. And as <laughs> I feel like that's such like the typical, pa- the, the typical pastor answers, it's complicated. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. It's a I good mean, therapist yeah, answer. Yeah. As well. Right. Well, it's complicated. It depends. Um, so it, I think a lot of it has to do with how well do we understand the culture in which scripture was written? And, um, you know, I, I look at the Bible and I just wonder was it really as simple as, well, you were a child and then you had your bar mitzvah and now you're an adult? Um, because I mean, Plato, Aristotle, like all these ancient writers, they talked about adolescence. They talked about Mm -hmm, this transitional mm -hmm. period between childhood and adulthood. And, Mm um, you know, I, I just, when you look at ancient writing and you look at what, what ancient writers actually said about what we would call teenagers and adolescents, 
yeah, obviously it looks different. I mean, of course it did. Totally. It, culture is what culture is and culture is valuable. Culture is biblical, <laughs> actually. Um, if it was wrong, then God wouldn't have created it, right? That we, <laughs> we, are, we are culture makers. We create society with social norms <laughs> uh, that shift and change and, and morph and, and all those good things. Um, and sometimes all those bad things. Uh, but it, it, it is what it is. And so the world of scripture takes place in a culture. And even in that culture, there was a transitional period from childhood into adulthood. And we see throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, this continual repeated emphasis on parents discipling their kids. Um, but one of the things that I think is really important to recognize that one of the, the core passages that people always point to is in Deuteronomy 6, uh, where it talks about you know parents um, impress these commandments on your children, talking about them when uh, you sleep at home and when you're walking along the roads, write them on the door frames of your house and on your foreheads. And uh, just the, this really symbolic emphasis of priority of saying, like, parents, you need to impress the commandments of the Lord upon the hearts of your mm -hmm, children. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, that's passing it on. Yeah, totally. Right. And that takes place in um, what, what is called the Shema, right? That's the very first <laughs> verse that Jewish men and women, boys and girls would learn that hero Lord, uh, hero Israel, uh, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And th this is the first verse that parents would teach their children because it was the core identity of what it meant to be a faithful Jewish boy or girl. We are, mm -hmm. we are monotheists. We worship one God. And who is that God? He is the Lord. He is Yahweh. Um, and, so, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it was a literal impressing and a literal writing of that Shema. Yeah. So, I mean, that uh, the word that's that's used has to do with carving, right? It, it has mm -hmm. to like carve these commandments on the hearts of your children. Uh, and so, yeah, there, there were definitely some um, Jewish practices where they they kind of took it very literally. Um, of, you know, putting actually like scripture boxes and on, on your foreheads and tying these little scripture boxes on, on your wrists and everything. Uh, but it just has this, this emphasis on, are we teaching our kids, um, the word of God? And, uh, so, so you see this, this commandment and very clearly given to parents, but it's in this context of here, O Israel. Right here, mm -hmm. O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Impress these commandments on the hearts of your children. Yeah, and these are consecutive verses, um, and so it's given to the parents in context of here, O Israel, mm -hmm. the larger uh, so community. It, yeah, and I mean, there's also the reality that as as Americans, uh, we have such a high value um, for the nuclear family for mom and dad living separate together. And I think some ethnic communities really have a lot to teach um, kind of more mainstream American radical individualism to do with uh, what does it mean to be a family, a, a family mm -hmm. member who embraces the legacy of um, living together and of what your parents, of what your great grandparents and, and so forth have to say and that these biblical families that were called to minister to the next generation, it was a clan. 
-hmm. that was living mm -hmm. kind of in a family compound. It was not just mom and dad um, living in one town and then deciding to get a job somewhere else and moving to a different part of Israel, separate from, <laughs> like, you didn't yeah, do you, that. You yeah, know, like, yeah. You don't do that. So it was this multi-generational emphasis of everyone in the community, whether you're related or not, ministering to everyone in the community's children, passing mm -hmm. on the faith and engraving the commandments of the Lord on their hearts. And uh, one of the most common ways that Christians refer to their churches today as mm -hmm. well, it's my church family. Yeah. So yeah. do we believe that? Like, do we really believe that the church is the family of God and that the church where I worship, the church where I'm a member, this is my church family. So even if I'm single and even if uh, we struggle with infertility or even if, um, you know, just whoever you are, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all the, ch the church kids are your kids, that they are your spiritual children and you have an opportunity to be a spiritual aunt or uncle to those kids in your church family, even if you aren't a children's Sunday school teacher, or even if you don't help out in the youth ministry. Mm -hmm. um, so this is one of the things where I look at it and say, no, like there's youth ministry all throughout scripture. This is just one example. I mean, I could take you through a whole sweep of Old Testament and New Testament where this type of thing, we see it all mm -hmm. over the place in scripture where there are people in the church community, in the faith community, who are intentionally partnering with parents for the sake of passing the faith to the next generation. Mm -hmm. And there are other warnings, uh, Judges 2.10 in particular, right? After, after Joshua passes away, it says there arose another generation in Israel who did not know the Lord and didn't keep his commands and they worshiped the Baals. Right. And it was it was a warning of what happens when Deuteronomy six doesn't happen. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that, that's that's my short, long answer. <laughs> There's a lot more to say there. As you said, you could go through the Old Testament, you could go through the New Testament. Yeah. There are plenty of things that we could draw out. Um, the two words that come to mind in terms of that cultural difference that you mentioned uh, are collectivism and individualism, uh, that those are very broad terms. And even within them, there, mm -hmm. there are spectrums of that. Um, yeah. But uh, just sort of the uh, culture that I grew up with was very much more of that individualistic uh, ideology where uh, everybody's sort of responsible for their own actions and uh, your families are responsible for their own decisions. And mm -hmm. if you enter a community setting, you always can leave that community setting, um, that there's not necessarily a, a uh, strong bond or a sense of overlapping responsibility uh, to the extent that we see in more collectivistic communities where there is absolutely an overlapping of responsibilities that it's yeah. seen as one in the same that one uh group uh is is just sort of responsible for every member mm -hmm. uh, so to speak um and i think that that creates a lot of expectations uh, and i think that that is something that i see a lot within 
ministry in general and particularly youth ministry is the expectation of what it is supposed to be uh, that yeah. it, almost yeah, yeah. as if there's one way or a right way um, or a best way of doing such ministry. Um, and I think for, uh, I don't know how much it is now in vogue, but for a while, uh, it was the attractional model, uh, that that mm -hmm. was sort of the dominant yep. way, yep. or at least a um, trendy way of doing youth ministry that uh, you want to get as many kids in the door as possible by any means necessary. And then once you have them there, then you can evangelize to them, you can share the gospel, you can you know, encourage, bless them, whatever it is, you can disciple them. Um, you know, I'm curious sort of what your experience, because you have written on this topic as well. Yep. Um, you know, how did you see that sort of trend emerge? And, you know, where, where did that come from? Oh, man, that's a loaded question. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good question. Mm -hmm. uh, where did it come from? I, I think, I think it came from a really good intention mm -hmm. um, that flows out from the great commission of wanting yeah. to reach the next generation for Christ. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And all the nations. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and decades ago, I mean, there was uh, post world war two um, lots of disillusionment and um, lots of brokenness in families and lots of kids growing up without uh, parents and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the church was just bleeding teenagers who were leaving and walking away mm -hmm. and they weren't really doing anything much about it. So if the church wasn't going to do it, then other people decided I'm going to start this, you know, young life ministry or mm -hmm. youth for Christ mm -hmm. ministry, or, yeah. you know, there were a, a handful of, um, of people who, who said that this isn't right. And the church isn't doing anything about it. Um, so if the church won't, then I will. Yeah. And so, um, youth ministry really started with, uh, modern youth ministry. Uh, mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. I, I like to differentiate between the two because sure. youth, like I say, uh, youth ministry, you can see all throughout scripture and mm -hmm, all throughout mm -hmm. church history. Um, yeah. the church has always ministered to youth. There have always been what we would consider youth workers, uh, in the church and in the faith community who have ministered to teenagers, um, on behalf of the church and in partnership with pastors. Uh, modern youth ministry, as we know it today, uh, really begins uh, with Young Life and mm -hmm. uh, these clubs that would do these really kind of zany and fun things to, to draw students in mm -hmm. um, and to connect them with um, young adults or uh, parent-aged adults who took an interest in actually listening to what these teenagers had to say yeah, uh, and getting to know them um, of speaking the kids' language mm -hmm. and translating mm -hmm. the gospel in a way that teenagers could, could understand and could see the impact that faith in Jesus makes in their lives. And so as those Young Life Clubs started to grow and to spread, uh, there were then it was a catalyst for the church to start doing the same. And so now as, as we, as we talk and you know, there are college degree programs. I have a mm -hmm. doctor of uh, ministry in basically in youth ministry um, or ministry to emerging generations. So 
now it, it's kind of just this this known thing that that has kind of evolved over the last 80 ish years or so. Mm-hmm. And now we have parents in in church who grew up in youth group. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they want their kids, as parents do, to experience what they had experienced in youth group growing up. Sure. Because, yeah. well, I loved youth group and I'm still a Christian. So I, if you're going to do youth group a little bit differently than, than I did, then I had it when I was a teenager. Uh, why are you talking about theology? Why aren't there more silly games and more zany ideas? And, you know, uh, why are you doing it differently? Why are you being this and that? And so uh, usually I kind of just look at parents and just say, okay, so uh, think back to your, your youth group when you were mm-hmm. a teenager. How many of the other you know, teenagers who you went to youth group are still actively a part serving in a local church. I know a lot of them have moved on to different locations, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. just think about what percentage would you say are still actively walking with Christ? And it usually just shrug and say, oh, barely any. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I say, okay, so you're one of the few who are, yeah, and most aren't. So why do we want to recreate that? Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, why do we want to perpetuate um, a, a model that, you know, there's some really good things here. Sure. Um, yeah. But it, it was a new thing uh, to be doing youth ministry like that. And we've learned some things and oftentimes we've learned it the hard way. So let's mm-hmm. not disparage youth workers from the 80s or the 90s or or before totally. even yeah, yeah um you know let's be thankful for them and yeah, let's they were doing the best that they had their legacy could. yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. and their motivations were absolutely phenomenal mm-hmm. um but we've learned some things since then and i think it's really important that we give teenagers a faith that's from the beginning that's built to last and that's mm-hmm. built to endure yeah. And in a hyper tolerant culture today, if you're just winning kids with pizza and with chubby bunny <laughs> and with dodgeball, uh-huh. like you can still build a youth ministry around those things, generally speaking. Um, but you're not equipping them with anything that helps them differentiate what makes their faith as a Christian any different from um, the atheists faith in science or the Buddhists faith in uh, meditation and in oneness or uh, these mindfulness practices and exercises that everyone's doing now in in their schools. And Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. makes our faith as Christians stand out as any different from the other religions of people who aren't just out there, but are in my own community and neighborhood today. Yeah. So we need to be having these uh, kind of apologetic and theological conversations with students in our ministries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's interesting sort of taking a look back historically of where some of these things, <clears throat> excuse me, some of these things emerged. Um, you know, I think that what I hear in that is that certain people saw a gap and stood in it and tried to mm-hmm. sort of address a, a, a missing piece, perhaps, yeah. that had been overlooked. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, to understand youth ministry, you have to understand youth and that, as you put it, the transitional period, uh, or perhaps another word would be a developmental period, uh, that there is something unique about being in that stage of transition that isn't quite childhood, isn't quite adulthood. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that a lot of us adults, as we move on, we can lose touch with what it was like for us to be back in that stage or or at that age. Uh, And oftentimes we can impose our adult mindset on uh, these youth, which isn't yeah. quite fair. So uh, I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to, you know, what do you see as a youth pastor um, in these youths, in these adolescents, um, in terms of what are they concerned about? You know, what do you see in terms of uh, what are they going through? You mentioned identity, you know, what is... Yeah. Um, what are the things that they are dealing with at that stage in life? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it's pretty consistent, honestly. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun, um, but the forms vary. So, sure. um, you know, uh, Cain killed his brother with a rock. Um, you know, we can, we, we can use all sorts of things today, but at the heart, it's still, you know, do I love my brother? Do I hate my brother? Mm. Uh, and, and so, um, there, there's still jealousy. There's still mm-hmm. materialism. There's still worldliness. There's still doubt. Um, th- that's, you know, still sexual. What does, um, you know, sexuality look like for a faithful Christian um, is a really important one. Um, w- when I look at and think about the religious values and the religious core of mm-hmm. Gen Z, mm-hmm. um, I think about tolerance. Mm-hmm. And I, I think tolerance is really the new golden rule. And this whole you do you, you be you, um, it's all good type of mantra uh, really is the theological core for a lot of what Gen Z believes and teaches as foundational for um, what is truth. Right. Uh, and so mm-hmm. I'd say tolerance is the new golden rule uh, and safety is the new American dream um, that I want to be physically safe. Um, mm-hmm. Think about school shootings and, and everything and terrorism in our world today. I mean, mm-hmm. I, when I was a teenager going up, I never thought about my physical safety at school unless I was being a jerk to someone and I was afraid of them punching me in the face. You know, it, it really wasn't, uh, that was the biggest threat. What was getting into a fist fight with someone. Yeah. Um, now that fist fights are very rare and school shootings are sure. common. it's just like, <laughs> what, like what has happened in our culture mm-hmm, for that mm-hmm. to be the norm? Um, so physical safety, uh, and you also think about just emotional and, and mm-hmm. mental safety as there's so much, um, anxiety, yeah. and depression, uh, in, in teenagers today and just the, these trigger warnings and what you say feels threatening to me. I don't like that. Um, you're rejecting who I am. You're mm-hmm. rejecting these ideas that are core to my identity. Um, and so, um, you know, you're harming me by these things that you say. And I think it's easy for adults to minimize that as, oh, come on, snowflakes. Like, yeah. come on, buck up. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. suck it, it up, up sister. Yeah. 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 And it's just like, hey, like, chill out, you know, like, <laughs> Think about this world that our kids are growing up in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you're going to tell me that kids are snowflakes when they're going to school thinking about like this school shooting that was phoned in yesterday and the police looked into it and said that it was a, a false accusation, mm-hmm. but they're still going to school the next day. Yeah. 
did you ever have to worry about that? <laughs> now tell me that there's no flake generation, you know, like, mm-hmm. so there's so much more to things than I think what, what we give them credit for, totally. but, but this shapes them and this affects them. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. when I think about teenagers today, I think about tolerance, I think about their desire and their hunger for safety. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And if you threaten either of those things, right, if you're deemed intolerant, or if you make them feel unsafe in any way, then um, the third core of religious viewpoint comes in with cancel culture, right? Like you have canceled yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We aren't canceling you. You have canceled yourself. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you you now forfeit your right to be tolerated. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not you know, contradicting the rule of tolerance. You have contradicted the rule of tolerance and made yourself a threat. So in order to protect and to care for one another, you have sacrificed your right to be tolerated. Mm -hmm. So we will not tolerate you. You're canceled to get out. You're not welcome here anymore. Yeah. And so how do we do ministry in that context? Mm -hmm. You know, that that's the, the, I think that's the question that a lot of youth workers and parents are, are trying to discern and figure out. Yeah. I think that's really helpful. I think, you know, there, there are just so many different things that, have evolved over time and uh, look differently, as you say, you know, as you mentioned, you grew up not having to worry about the same sort of things. And now it just sort of feels like it's commonplace and we can sort of become desensitized to some of these things. Um, You know, for you as a youth pastor, how do you minister to kids who are afraid to go to school or dealing with mental illness in ways that we haven't seen before, or uh, to the degree perhaps that we haven't seen before that, you know, suicide among youth is a thing that is like making charts now. Um, You know, how do you step into that role and uh, meet these kids where they're at when, you know, this might be foreign to you in terms of how you grew up? Yeah. I mean, that's the million dollar question. Um, (laughs) And if I had a all encompassing answer, totally, <laughs> you probably wouldn't be able to get me on your podcast. Uh-huh. Um, you yeah, know, I mean, so uh, I really believe that the gospel is good news of great joy for all people. Um, so I, I think we always start there. We always um, finish there and we always keep harping on that everywhere in between. Um, and so, you know, when, when we think about mental health, uh, do we believe in um, in God's message of grace um, mm-hmm. that sanctifies us, that gives us peace, uh, that fills us with joy, even in the midst of suffering, uh, that gives us hope uh, that as long as God is reigning from uh, his heavenly throne, and as long as Jesus has risen from the grave, uh, there will be a brighter day ahead. Uh, there is always a reason for hope. Uh, so let us never give up, right? And these types of messages of, do we have a robust view of the gospel or is the gospel just an evangelism tool? Uh, mm-hmm. God loves mm-hmm. you and has a wonderful plan for your life. So believe in Jesus and you'll spend eternity in heaven and you'll be able to escape hell. And okay, now just keep trying harder. Um, that's not the go- That's not what the gospel is, yeah. right? The, the gospel is the message of, of life um, eternal life and sanctified life here and now. And that's mm-hmm. not an easy believism thing. That's not a prosperity gospel. 
um, but does our union with Christ actually mean anything? And does the indwelling of the Holy Spirit really shape our life when things get really hard? Yeah. And when there's threat of a school shooting or when I'm feeling really anxious, uh, depressed, even suicidal thoughts, mm-hmm. uh, when mm-hmm. I struggle with sexual sin or with gender identity, um, how does the gospel shape, reshape, inform, comfort, strengthen, and fill with hope um, in the midst of those questions? And I, I think that's uh, the theological core that youth workers need to develop and to build. And one of my concerns is that we spend so much time thinking about the best game for Sunday night or making really cool- Best icebreaker. (laughs) Yep, like making really cool graphics for our youth group Instagram or TikTok um, that we spend so much time on these kind of cool looking things that I wish I knew how to do. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I'm just old enough, right? That like, nope, that's not my type of minutes. Like I'm not good at that. Like <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I think we need to develop a theological maturity among youth workers mm-hmm. um to be able to think through these really important um issues that students are facing and the questions that they are asking. Um, so that we're developing relationships with them in really practical ways mm-hmm. um, to cultivate trust so that we have opportunities to to discuss these really meaningful and um, significant issues with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think a big motivation for youth ministry is, as you mentioned, that passing on generation to a generation. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for parents, uh, it provides a convenient way of addressing that call of if I send my kid to youth ministry, then, you know, they will get all the tools that they need to continue their faith. Uh, and at the same time, you mentioned that um, very often it is quite common for kids to go off to college and then lose their faith or, or stop participating in faith activities. Um, And I think that uh, along with that, there can be some guilt associated with parents who feel like, Oh, I failed my kid in some way, or perhaps I, uh, you know, what did I do wrong that my kid's not Mm -hmm. a Christian anymore? Um, You know, how do you sort of think through this generational responsibility that on the one hand, we are called to disciple the next generation. And at the same time, what we're seeing in culture doesn't seem to match up quite with that vision. And perhaps some of the the guilt and shame that we layer on top of that isn't helpful either. Um, How have you sort of thought about, you know, what is uh, uh, perhaps a better expectation of what that is to look like? Oh, man. Um, I think we just need to chill out, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Good word. Mean, and just <laughs> and just stop with the pressure and mm-hmm, the guilt mm-hmm. and the shame and stop hiding um, mm-hmm. at, by trying to be impressive. Mm. and just be faithful mm-hmm. um you know th- just drop the facade uh as hard as that is um and like eat together 
as a family and talk to each other. Yeah. Um, Go back to the basics. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff out there that's really important um, and valuable about family discipleship. And honestly, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a youth pastor and um, I'm not, there are times when I feel like I'm not very good at family discipleship myself (laughs) with my own kids. Mm -hmm. If family discipleship equals opening up scripture, reading a passage, discussing it with our kids, singing, singing a worship song, and then closing in prayer. If that is, if that is all that family discipleship is, then I'm utter failure. Yeah, ticking off all those boxes. Yeah, because I mean, at least as a as youth pastor dad, I mean, my my son is in youth group with me now, so <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like my kid doesn't want to hear me, dad preach another sermon every night around the dinner table. Yeah, or in the morning before school, um, and as a as a pastor, that's always the the challenge I, you said you're a pastor's kid so you you, you probably totally. have some stories about that too right <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's like all right i already hear you preach enough i don't need more sermons yeah. um so it's just how do we talk how are we equipping parents um to just talk about their faith mm-hmm. with their kids and mm-hmm. there there's a really good book that came out um last year called handing down the faith uh, by a, a sociologist of religion uh, named Christian Smith, who's done a whole bunch of really interesting and um, significant uh, research on uh, the religious, religious lives of teenagers. And basically what he has said is that the, the teenagers whose, whose faith trajectory continues to match up with their parents' faith are teenagers who grew up in homes that were marked by emotional warmth Mm. Um, and that they, they had a a safe and nurturing relationship with mom and dad. That doesn't mean that they were permissive, Mm -hmm. um, uh, but it doesn't mean that they were cold and hard and demanding, but they were, they were demanding in the right kind of context. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was accountability, there was discipline, but there was a, a warmth yeah. and nurture so that kids knew that even when they were in trouble, um, there, they were, they were still loved. Mm-hmm. And There's an valued. acceptance. Yeah. 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 Um, and so th- th- those households were marked by emotional warmth and mom and dad um, just talked about their faith mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. talked about the impact that their faith in Jesus has on the way they structure their time and the commitments that they let their kids make the commitments that the ki- that the parents make uh setting a, an example of um no kids you can't you can't play baseball or soccer because then you wouldn't be able to go to church on sunday but then dad's always at the golf course on sure. sunday morning yeah. right like that's a contradictory message mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. the kids are going to call that out right oh, so totally like what what does this mean for our family to to live christianly and to see the impact that our faith makes in a way that is freeing and that is joyful mm-hmm. um that's not perfect um so like do our us as parents like do we ever um apologize to our kids and ask our kids to forgive us when we sin against them Mm -hmm. or is that shown Mm -hmm. weakness right like 
when I sin against my kids, asking them like, hey, like, Matt, Hannah, like, I'm, I'm really sorry. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a sinner too. And that was not right. And, you know, what would you forgive me for losing my temper? Um, that, that wasn't right. Uh, and that wasn't fair. You know, so like, what does that model to them about the actual impact that our faith makes? I mean, these are very simple things. Sure. They're, yeah. they're not easy. They're, they're very hard, but they're, they're very simple things. And I think sometimes if, if I gave a list of 10 hard things that you need to do to keep your kid as Christians, I feel like parents would do that before they would just do the simple work of just just be Christians. Yeah. <laughs> like just love Jesus <laughs> mm-hmm, and let mm-hmm. your kids see that you love Jesus imperfectly. Like just, just love Jesus. And what you described, I think are a lot of just general good parenting tips, uh, you know, within the world of psychology, which I sort of swim in, uh, we would sort of call the the three basic types of parenting, you know, either permissive, authoritative, or authoritarian. He uses those uh, terms in the the book too. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That on the one hand side, you have the overly allowing permissive type. On the other hand, you have the legalistic uh, domineering, mm-hmm. uh, rigid type. And then in the middle, you've got the best of both worlds yeah. almost of the warmth that you mentioned yeah. along with the discipline and the structure and the boundaries and that kids need both yeah. of those. So, and it's interesting. So one of the things that he points out, um, I forget if it was in this book or in one of his previous books, uh, where he talks about parents who were spiritual nomads or prodigals, um, so when they were teenagers, they, they were, maybe they grew up in the church, but they sure. were rejecting it and, and this mm-hmm, and that, whatever mm-hmm. they tend to clamp down as real authoritarian types of parents, yeah. um, and kind of cramming Jesus down their kids' throats because they want to save their kids, the prodigal experiences and years that they repented of and walked away from. Yeah. And so from a good motivation, they're cramming Jesus down their kid's throat, but what does that do? Right? Like what happens whenever someone tries force feeding you something, you spit it up. Like it's not delicious. No one, no one has force fed Jesus. And is like, Oh wow. Yeah, you're right. Like that's delicious. <laughs> like that's, that's good news. Thank you yeah. for forcing that on me. Like, yes. Yeah, so no, no, whenever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, but it, it is just interesting how, how our own faith journey as teenagers in, influences the way that we kind of, spiritually parent our own kids yeah that's worth some reflection as parents too Mm -hmm. yeah speaking of some of those i guess uh, misconceptions or you know perhaps good motivation but wrong tactics you know for me being a millennial uh, i think i can remember some of the things that are now coming back in terms of uh sort of ex-evangelical movements and purity culture stuff where that's sort of in the sort of milieu of where we're at right now of uh, critically looking back and seeing, okay, deconstructing that a little bit of what Mm -hmm. was going on there. How were we shaped by some of those messages and what are we holding on to and rejecting? What are we uh, deconstructing and reconstructing? I'm curious because, you know, as you mentioned, we're sort of in the Gen Z 
sort of uh, generation now, which yep. uh, perhaps is, um, you know, maybe hearing those things, but maybe not relating to some of those things. I'm curious what you have observed among your youth in terms of what are they hearing about some of these trends? And is it sort of influencing the way that they're thinking about faith and religion? Um, okay, so total caveat, this is my my knee-jerk reaction, not my scholarly researched sure. uh-huh, uh-huh. formulation. Yeah, um, yeah. My 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 understanding of what I've what I've studied and read um, and what I've observed just with my own eyes, I think most teenagers tend to mimic their parents faith religiously mm-hmm. um so if their parents are christian then you know ask them what they think they're christians right i mean th- we see the same thing in politics totally. you know you talk yeah. talk to a teenager about politics mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. hear what they have to say and you'll know what their parents think politically yeah, because yeah. where are they getting it from yeah they'll just right? they're, they're, it back. <laughs> exactly mm-hmm. um so you know, junior, senior year in high school is really when they start to do that own evaluative work mm-hmm. for themselves. Yeah. So I personally have seen very little deconstruction in youth ministry mm-hmm. until they get to that, those junior and senior years Interesting. at yeah. college, because that's when they're starting to, um, I mean, even just de- brain development, I mean, just their ability to think abstract, deep deeper self They're gaining new skills they're able to think yeah just develop developmentally um that deconstructive work happens at the end of high school and throughout college mm-hmm. um and i think most of the time and this is just the way that what whether you call it deconstruction or just kind of making the faith your own mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um which is kind of the older way of talking about it <laughs> yeah yeah it's the same difference i mean really um and uh, well, obviously with nuances, right? So I'm not mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. flatlining it all. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's why I think we see so many college students walking away from the faith and sometimes with the assumption, oh, they'll come back. They, all, mm-hmm, they always mm-hmm. do, right? I mean, it's like, that's just, that's the time period when they're thinking through and when, when we evaluate what we believe and what we were raised to believe, our initial reaction is to throw it all away. And then mm-hmm. we start checking bit by bit, piece by piece to see what gets put back in. So um, we just need to be patient, be present, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. be uh, people who are safe to doubt too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know for me, as a youth pastor, I always want to encourage doubt, actually, mm-hmm. yeah, um, not to encourage disbelief, because uh, there's a difference. Uh, there's a difference between doubt and disbelief. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want students to test their faith. Mm-hmm. I want mm-hmm. students to test and to doubt and to ask hard questions about what they believe, why they believe it, Mm-hmm. Is this a biblical thing to believe? Uh, is the Bible even trustworthy? Sure. Um, yeah. And really digging into this stuff. And, and so um, just a, about a year, not even a year ago, about nine months ago or so, I started this website called Youth Pastor Theologian mm-hmm. to start this type of conversation with fellow youth workers about uh, how are we equipping students to think theologically about their faith and uh, setting the context for um for theological instruction 
and navigating doubt with our students mm-hmm. um, because I think apologetics needs to look different for teenagers today than even five or, or 10 years ago. But if we're never teaching doctrinally, um, then we're not allowing students to, to really think through what is it that they actually believe mm-hmm. um, and why. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a helpful distinction. I think that a lot of people or in, you know, perhaps parents especially might equate doubt and disbelief that they're sort of one and the same. But, you know, for me in my own journey, I think a lot of the very formative seasons of life were those periods of doubt or uh, deconstruction or uh, making my Mm -hmm. faith my own. Um, That's sort of what has shaped me yeah. in terms of the things yeah. that I hold on to. Um, but it can, I, I think, feel really scary for parents who might be thinking, you know, are, are my children apostatizing? Are my children yeah. uh, sort of going down a wrong path? Um, you know, what would you say to parents who want to do something, um, but have difficulty figuring out how to meet their child in that place where they're at? Um, I would say that you can trust the Lord and that God was also, if, if you are a failure of a parent because your kid is walking away from the Lord, then God is also a failure of a parent, hmm. right? Just, I mean, think about Old Testament history. Um, mm-hmm. God had to keep sending his people into exile. He had yeah. to keep disciplining them. It wasn't just I mean, once. <laughs> eventually he was just like, you know what? Move out, like move out. You're out of the family. You need to go experience some homelessness for a little bit and go, go to Babylon. Just go away. I'll bring you back. Uh, but you need, to, you need some tough <laughs> yeah, love. Very right long now. time out. <laughs> yeah. A very, a very long time out. Um, so, I mean, God was a failure of a parent. If you want to think of it that way, then, uh, uh, and you know, all views on Israel aside and, you know, God's sovereign plan and, and, and everything. Sure. Um, but you can't just look at things and say, well, if I did a better job, if I did a better job, if I did a better job, okay, look, none of us are perfect. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are things that you're going to be able to look at and say, I did this poorly. And I'd be lying if I said, oh, no, you were great. Like, that wasn't right. Like, yes, I'm sure there are things that you wish you could do differently. That's just parenting. You know, it's like, we're, we're all figuring this out as we go and we're doing our best. And it is a really good thing that we're covered by grace and God is doing what God does and he is faithful and you really can trust him. Um, and you don't, you just don't know um, your kids stories aren't finished being written yet and neither is yours. So um, if you just, eat yourself up with guilt and with shame and with embarrassment. Um, that's, that's not a good look for the gospel either. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we pray for our kids salvation because God is sovereign. If God wasn't sovereign, then why pray at all? And I know that's kind of a, a reversal of what a lot of people think like, well, why, why bother praying if God is sovereign? It's like, well, I'd say, why would I pray if God wasn't sovereign? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that like I pray for my kids' salvation because like only only God can do that work in their lives. And sure. I'm I'm doing my best. My wife's doing our best to 
to train up our kids in, in the love and fear of the Lord. Um, but this is God's work. Um, and so, you know, do what you can do, but mm -hmm. don't act and think like this is up to you to be a good parent. And if they walk away, that means that it's your fault. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because if that's true, then God was also a failure of a parent. So I, I think there's a lot of comfort in the story of Israel there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so when I've thought about youth ministry uh, and specifically youth ministers or youth pastors. Um, a lot of the statistics I've heard are sort of from years ago, so I don't know what the current ones are, but uh, I feel like, you know, what I've heard is that youth uh, youth ministry is notoriously difficult and that uh, pa youth pastors are uh, among the first to get burnt out um, when it comes to uh, ministry. I'm curious sort of um, you know, what has kept you in the game and, you know, you know, have there been periods where you felt burnt out and how have you survived that? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm sure that you've got youth pastor friends who have gotten to that point. Um, yeah. you know, how do you survive youth ministry? <laughs> Oh man. Well, I'm a stubborn Irish New Englander. So <laughs> I got, I got the Irish side uh -huh. and I got the New England side. So mm -hmm. I just, I'm just stubborn. Yeah. Um, so you die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it's, it's funny because when I, I, um, graduated seminary and started as a youth pastor and, uh, in 2005, and I was very upfront with the search committee. Mm -hmm. Um, and said, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a lifer. And a lot of people in youth ministry talk about, are you a lifer? Are you not a lifer? And um, yeah, I'm not a lifer, but I'm not using this as a stepping stone. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I value youth ministry and teenagers far too much. And yeah, uh, my undergrad degree was in uh, youth ministry. And mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, youth ministry really is, um, you know, near and dear to me, but I, I think I love preaching. And so mm -hmm. I love the world of theology. So I, I doubt I'll be in youth ministry in the next five years. But, sure. So I just wanted yeah. to throw that out and let you guys know. Mm -hmm. yeah. I said, okay, well, you know, we appreciate your honesty, but, you know, why don't you come? And they gave me the invitation to come and serve as the youth pastor. And so I did. Mm -hmm. And then I stayed there for 13 years. <laughs> um, and, mm -hmm. and now I've been at my current church for uh, two and a half years. And um, I, I've been a youth pastor for almost 17 and uh, ended up getting my doctorate in uh, ministry <laughs> to emerging generations. Yeah. And it's just kind of this funny situation where uh, when I started, I was the one who everyone expect would jump um, and, you know, climb that ladder first. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. And now all of my other friends who are self-professed lifers are out of, <laughs> are out of youth ministry. And mm -hmm. I, the one who is admittedly not a lifer, I'm the only one still in full-time youth ministry. So it, sometimes we chuckle about like, yeah, it's ironic. <laughs> it, what, what is this world? You know? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I, I love the challenge of mm -hmm. youth ministry. Most of the time, <laughs> this, <laughs> this pandemic, let me tell you. Oh, Oof. sure. Yeah. Um, it not been easy, but, um, I, I love the challenge that, um, you can't let yourself get stale. And you can't just keep doing what you've been doing for the last five years or whatever, because every three years, teenagers change mm -hmm. and youth culture is very different um, in a very short period of time. Uh, so I, I really, I really enjoy that challenge of figuring out what's, what's connecting, what's not mm -hmm. connecting. Yeah, um, constantly and adapting. Yeah. I mean, and even just like following certain kids, um, mm -hmm. I, I've been at this church for, for two and a half years. 
And um, I mean, some of the change in it's like they're a whole different person, mm. but they're not, but they are. <laughs> Yeah. Right. And like that's youth ministry and seeing the growth and the development in them and partnering with their parents and, and talking and collaborating, uh, conspiring even <laughs> for for their kids uh, development and maturity is just really rewarding. Um, but I think in the same regard, it can be just absurdly um, discouraging mm-hmm. at times, mm-hmm. too, when like you, you you plan things and no one shows up or all they're interested in is you know flirting with the uh cute girls or that cute boy and you're mm-hmm. like oh man like this was such a good message <laughs> and you just talked over me the entire time because you were seated next to this other person or if because only you, you stayed up late theological training i have yes if you knew <laughs> do you know who I am? Like, I'm a good preacher. Okay. I have a lot of education. People think I'm really smart. And the kids were like, Oh man, I stayed up too late going playing Xbox. I'm gonna, Oh good. The message is coming up. I'll, I'll take a nap then, you know? Um, so it can be really discouraging and frustrating. Um, but I just, in my book, um, you don't really know something uh, like theologically, biblically, uh, scholarly, whatever, like you don't really understand it. If you can't teach it to a middle school boy whose ADHD meds have worn off. Like that is the benchmark that <laughs> yeah, I think about. That like, is the can true you, litmus test. <laughs> yeah. Like, can you teach the, the Trinity to a, to a, to a 13 year old boy <laughs> whose meds are worn off? Yeah. Just throwing, throwing you in the deep end. Yeah, I mean, we need we need gifted pastors and um, elders and, and lay leaders to serve in our youth ministries, and it's just it's really frustrating to me um, when people talk about youth ministry as a way to you know develop their skill and then move on to something mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think very few people actually do that intentionally. Um, but um, you know, I've been told in the past that I. Had, I've outgrown youth ministry, um, you know, too skilled in this, too smart at that, whatever. Like, why are you wasting yourself on these teenagers? Mm. And like, I was so insulted, not for myself, but for the teenagers. So I'm like, is that really what you think about the next generation? Like Mm -hmm. that they don't need good pastors. Like they don't need well-equipped and well-informed and well-skilled pastors to be leading them. You know, and then we wonder why we're losing a generation. You know, like, okay, great. So you have your church is growing. You have an amazing church, but all the teenagers are walking away from the faith. Mm -hmm, What -hmm. are you really accomplishing? Like invest in your youth ministry, like give them a good youth ministry um, that intentionally partners with parents um, and equips parents to have significant faith conversations at home. And that's building a gospel-shaped community at the church. So the kids come to church and know, like, this is my church. This isn't just where my parents go. This isn't just where I grew up. This is my church. And the people here love me. Mm-hmm. And I belong here. And there's a space for me to be with my peers pursuing Christ and to be part of the faith community. Um, and I know people here and I'm known here. Like, mm-hmm. that is the vision of youth ministry um, that that I keep trying to get out there. And uh, that's why, that's why I'm still in it. Um, Cause that it's, it takes a long time and it's a challenging work, but it's, it's important. 
Yeah. And I'm stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you treat something like youth ministry as an afterthought, then you're going to get what you, you're going to reap yeah. what you sow. Yeah. Um, and so I, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, speaking of just the challenges, particularly that we're facing with COVID, uh, I'm curious just to hear how that has been for you. You know, I, I, I feel like I've heard things all over the spectrum of, yeah. you know, just the, the ways in which you have to get creative or just feeling like my youth ministry is drying up because you know, kids need to be social. They want to be with their friends. They got to hang out or, you know, they, they want something to uh, gather around. Um, I'm curious just sort of how you have uh, tried to do youth ministry in this pandemic and what has uh, worked for you or what you are still trying to wrestle with and figure out what has this experience been like for you? Uh, what month what month do you want me to use as my reference point for what <laughs> well, we've done? We are in January of 2022. So we'll oh, stamp it here. Yeah. Um, oh, but yeah, brutal. we are like coming up on our two year mark. Or... Oh, it's so depressing. Yeah. Yeah. It's exhausting to be mm-hmm. perfectly honest. <laughs> That's um, fair. And I, I'm, I'm pretty fried about mm-hmm. it. Um, so, I mean, I've been at my church for about two and a half years almost. And, uh, almost two full years of that has been during this pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I was talking with a friend the other day and um, kind of did some math and realized that of the, um, of the 26 months that I've been here, 21 of them have been during COVID pandemic. And we have restructured the youth ministry eight different times in that period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just, it's exhausting. Yeah. Uh, it's really tiring. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, we're still figuring it out. If I'm perfectly honest right now with, with Omicron going around, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, youth ministry in person has been canceled for the month of January in our church and youth groups over Zoom the other night was absolutely terrible and made me want to just turn in my resignation right away i was getting text messages from my youth leaders in the middle of it saying mike this is horrible please don't make us do this again um <laughs> well yeah and so just trying to figure out a plan for um what are we what are we doing next week because that was just not good or <laughs> fruitful um so how do we how do we help kids um connect with each mm-hmm. other how do we help them to lean into um christ in the season uh, mm-hmm. remotely and yeah uh, i don't think anyone is an expert who has answers on these types of questions so i, I have more questions and scenarios <laughs> and i would like you to just tell me what to do <laughs> wouldn't that be nice <laughs> yeah but please. i'm sorry it's not the name of the podcast so oh, we can't do. <laughs> yeah. i should find the just tell me what to do podcast i'm sure it's out there somewhere uh, with the millions of podcasts out there yeah. um, well we are wrapping up but there's one more question i'd like to ask you i feel like we've been on quite a journey today in this conversation and touched on a lot of things but i do want to circle back to uh, the sense of is youth ministry biblical and i think something that really uh, struck me as i read some of the things that you wrote is that you know i feel like you lay out a very holistic picture of what youth ministry can and 
you know, I don't know if I should use the word should, uh, but, uh, you know, this idea that youth ministry is not just about uh, sending your kids away for babysitting, but it's a whole church, whole family approach that involves yeah. parents, involves the whole church, involves the kids. Um, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, what is this, you know, how can a church who is looking at their youth ministry and saying we could do more, how do they start to think about youth ministry differently in a way that is this more holistic approach? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good question. So um, I, I've, I've written two books. Um, one of them is um, a biblical theology of youth ministry. So that, that really is aiming at this question of is youth ministry biblical? Uh, so uh, the basic outline of that book is you're looking at youth ministry in the Old Testament, youth ministry in the New Testament, youth ministry throughout church history, and then a few different, uh, like, what is the family? You know, what is the gospel? What is the mission of the church? And how, how do these things all converge together to give us a biblical portrait of what, what youth ministry actually is? Um, and then my more recent book is called Lead Them to Jesus. It's a handbook for youth workers. Um, and so in that book, I, I think about the two, uh, one as show and one as tell. Mm -hmm. uh, so Lead Them to Jesus shows you what does a biblically gospel, a biblical uh, based uh, gospel centered youth ministry, what does that actually look like? Uh, and that book's written for volunteer youth workers uh, and for uh, teams to be able to read together. Um, and biblical theology of youth ministry uh, is more of a tell type of book, uh, you know, to tell like what does, what actually is youth ministry. Um, and so th those two books together um, in, in working through the writing process, it really clarifies a lot of your, your, your focus on, okay, so like, what's the point here? Like, what, what does this all boil down to? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And for me, it, it really comes down to these three things. Um, first is gospel always, mm -hmm, right? Like we mm -hmm. want our entire ministry to be shaped by the gospel. Uh, the gospel isn't just an evangelism strategy, but um, how do I think about fun and games um, and retreats and discipline and all, all sorts of, you know, how our, how our ministry uses social media? Like, how do we do all these things in light of the gospel and how am I proclaiming the gospel? always. Um, so first gospel, uh, second is worship together. I, I believe that the church should be, um, you know, a intergenerational, uh, cross-generational fellowship of believers, um, of people who are old and young, um, coming together as one body, um, so that children who have made a credible profession of faith, and the elders in the church, um, guess what? They are brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and so what does that actually mean for living and worshiping together as the church? Um, and unfortunately, it is fairly common for youth ministries uh, to actually have their own separate worship services um, or to have youth group during the church's gathered worship. And I just, I, I frankly just think that's unbiblical. And um, I don't think that means that you know, nursery is wrong or having a children's church program for young kids is wrong. Uh, so those theological caveats. Um, but we need to be be one church. Right? We need to find ways to enfold students into the life of the church. Um, and, and the three, the third anchor 
for me is uh, about co-discipleship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, how does parents and the church co-disciple the next generation together? And I, I believe that's, that's the role of the youth ministry. Mm-hmm, um, the the mm-hmm. youth ministry is um, the wing mm-hmm. of the church, the ministry of the church that's committed to co-discipling the next generation alongside parents and alongside the church so that when students graduate, um, their faith isn't anchored in the youth ministry. Their faith is anchored in the church and in the home. Um, Because if kids' faith is really built and rooted in the youth ministry, then they graduate and we're uprooting them. And we're wondering why they never get replanted anywhere. And maybe it's because we, you know, structured the youth ministry so that the roots of their faith grew in the wrong soil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I think that's really helpful. You, um, <clears throat> you plugged the two books that you've written, uh, Biblical Theology of Youth Ministry and Lead Them to Jesus. Uh, you also, uh, earlier on in the our conversation, talked about the Youth Pastor Theologian website. Uh, do you mind just sort of telling a, a little plug of what, uh, what that website is and, and where they can find it and any yeah, other sure. sort of ways that people can follow you? Yeah, you can find it at youth pastor youthpastortheologian.com um, or on social media at, at Youth Theologian. Um, and yeah, that's really committed to helping youth workers build their ministries on a biblical and theological foundation uh, rather than a pragmatic one. Uh, there's just so few resources for helping to train and equip youth leaders to think theologically about what youth ministry is and to, um, to actually teach theologically in their ministries. And so uh, we've probably all seen people on social media say, oh, if kids can learn algebra and trigonometry and uh, they, they're learning all these you know, really complicated things in school, why don't, why don't youth pastors ever teach theology? They say, well, not every youth pastor is equipped to actually do that. Totally. Um, yeah. So how do we help youth workers who love Jesus and they're doing their best, or maybe it's parents are leading the youth ministry because they can't afford to have someone paid on staff to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, how are we actually helping that to happen? Or are we just kind of finger wagging at youth ministry saying do better? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a site that's trying to help uh, resource and equip youth workers to, to do kind of substantive and substantial reflection about what youth ministry is and how to teach doctrinally in our ministries. Awesome. Well, great. Thanks for putting those resources out there and thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for tuning in to the Hard Questions, No Answers podcast. Still have questions? Oh, good. I was afraid we answered them all. For more information about HQA podcast, visit drgabelow.com. That's D-R-G-A-B-E-L-O-W-E.com. Additional educational materials recommended by my guests can be found in the podcast tab. And for the updates, news, and behind the scenes, follow HQA Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at HQA POD. HQA Podcast is independently produced by Gabriel Lowe. Music is Cocktail Fun by Stock Music 331, found on Pond 5. And logo design is by Kenny Lowe. Stay tuned for new episodes released each Wednesday. And thank you for joining me on the journey of no answers.